Hello and welcome to Talking Eds, APN Educational Media's weekly review podcast, comprising the team behind Early Learning Review, Education Review, and Campus Review. I'm Patrick Avenal. I'm the news editor for these sites. We have two interesting conferences coming up. In the higher education space, the Campus Review team is holding the Higher Equity Summit on Monday, 26 September 2016. This meeting of minds will examine the various barriers to entry in higher education. Head to campusreview.com.au and follow the links to Higher Equity Summit. The Education Review team is preparing the Protect Ed Conference, a look at how technology is changing the education sector and what precautions schools should consider in the digital age. This conference is on Friday 21 October 2016. Go to educationreview.com.au and look for Protect Ed. And now, episode 14. Intensive parenting stressing out mums and dads, crowdsourcing cures for menacing maladies, and inmates running the SCA Asylum. I'm joined by Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Patrick. How's your week been? It's been good. How's your week been? Yeah, it's been very nice. I'm, I'm heading off on two weeks leave. Uh, spoiler alert. So I was going to drop that at the end, but uh, I'll leave it out there now. So I'm... you can tell us where you're going at the end. Oh well, yeah. It's I've been in um I've been in almost mentally caretaker mode all week. And uh, James <laughs> Wells, you're the editor of Education Review and Campus Review. How have you been? I've been good. How are you? I'm very good. Now you were in Melbourne for a conference uh, yes. late last week. Just before we get started, uh, what conference were you at? I was at the Education Show and the K to twelve Digital Classrooms Practice. Uh, conference. And uh, what was it like? Was it good? Yeah, it was decent. Very, very, very practical. And yeah, I liked it. And uh, was there, were there any uh, interesting uh, stories or takeouts from it? Um, interesting story, the Herald Sun launching a news, um, a kids news website, which was interesting. So teachers can teach the news in, in their classrooms. And another interesting story was also um, about Genius Hour, which is a concept taken from Google, whereby uh, Google employees are allowed to devote 20% of their time to um, certain projects, so to their pet projects, as long as it has a chance to benefit Google and things like Gmail come out of that, um, which is being transferred to classrooms where kids just have certain, like, say, an hour of each week doing their own little assignments. Yeah. And, and where can people read stories about this? Educationreview.com.au. Excellent. Okay, in part one today, Lauren, you wrote a story with the header... Intensive parenting makes mums and dads miserable, and I assume the kids too. Uh, What's it all about? Well, that's true, Patrick. You hit the nail on the head with the kids there. Gosh, that sounded not right. But anyway, I'll continue. So there was a study done by a woman from Queen Mary University in London, and basically the better educated mums were, the less happy they were whilst caring for their kids. And the reason that she found was that because they were practicing so-called cultivated parenting or focused mothering, whereby they're constantly trying to educate their children, they became really stressed out. And in addition to this, they were spending a lot more time on this than less educated mothers. So I think on top of maybe their other commitments, it just became all too much and it made them sad and Mm. stressed. And given what we know about postnatal depression and its impacts on children, which are very negative, uh, the author of this study is concerned that this intensive parenting will have a similar effect. Are these the mothers colloquially known as tiger mums? Or helicopter mums is the other one I've heard. I think a tiger mum is actually a very specific definition that applies... Ethnocentric. Not necessarily. It started off being... An Asian thing but it now applies to those mothers who are not just intensive they're like super super intensive 
and they make their kids study on the weekends and that kind of thing. Whereas this is more just about those mothers who probably devote a bit more time to teaching their kids how to read, for example. So an intensive parent is, is the sort of parent who sort of um, acts as a teacher even when the, the kid is in a class. Is this, so this is before school. So before a student starts school, you've got a parent there trying to teach their kid how to read, trying to teach their kid basic arithmetic. That's exactly right. So um, she mentioned several areas where this focused mothering occurs. That is conversation, reasoning and intellectually stimulating activities like reading and support with play and homework. I wonder what that supported play looks like. I think it might be, as you said, trying to teach things through play. Mm. Um, but I've also seen recent studies which have shown that, um, you know, the intense focus on education doesn't actually result in better outcomes for children. Yeah. So. I've seen studies also where whereby it's better off just let the kids play and they'll learn by themselves, especially in early childhood. Exactly, mm. and especially with outdoor play in particular, there's so much they can learn from that, and that's not something you can really interfere with too much. I mean, I have to take it, I have to take my mum's word for it, but she tells me that I learned to read when I started kindergarten, that, you know, and my mum is a primary school teacher, so I guess that she had the means to teach me and my sister, but she just let, let us to play, and then we learned to read at school and learn arithmetic at school. But now I look at my friends' kids who are at preschool age and they're all reading. Obviously, they're reading basic stuff. They're not picking up Ulysses. But they all know their letters. They all know the basic words because their parents are so focused on teaching them the, 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 the basics so early. It makes me wonder whether childhood exists anymore or whether it's all just a race to get into a selective school from the moment you're born. It is a bit like that sometimes. And when it comes to streaming in schools, you end up the race to get your kids in the top class, the race to get your kids in the top university just goes on and on and on until you get a, get a job. I guess uh, parents are often comparing their kids as well. So mm. it's, you, you always want to make sure that your kid is the one that's uh, on top of the class. Well, they say as well, this is sort of the era of parents in the spotlight and parents being put on pedestals whereas parenting used to be just another part of life that wasn't glamorized or you know pressurized in any way so in part two today james everybody loves a good conspiracy theory and one of the common antagonists is big pharma the 99 percent have come up with an interesting way of circumventing their control of the medicine market to fund some of the scarier diseases or research into those diseases Tell us a bit more. Well, it's called open source research, whereby it's based off open source software where you get where you have a problem, you get people on the internet to help solve it. This way, they just, academics they publish their studies into these diseases. Uh, everyone can contribute, and they eventually solve it, and it gets peer reviewed as it goes along. And to begin with the big pharma um, <laughs> point, um, the issue the issue here is is that. A lot of diseases like updating cures for malaria, finding cures for Ebola and Zika, there's just there's not enough of a profit motive for for-profit pharma industries to essentially fund the research. So thereby, um, a lot of researchers in big pharma and in academia who and and in universities, they're just essentially crowdsourcing funding for their research and find a cure for. In this case, it's malaria. This reminds me of a conversation that was in the West Wing when they were talking about uh, yeah how expensive anti-retroviral drugs should be for African people that were, that had HIV. 
and uh, one of the characters said, this pill costs one cent to make, but they're charging $100 for it. And the repository was, yeah, the second pill cost a cent to make, the first pill cost a billion dollars to make. Mm. And they're sort of like looking at Big Pharma and thinking about Zika. Should we find the cure for Zika or should we just make a tweak to uh, a, a benzoadipine drug that we know there are going to be a million scripts written for every year. Mm. Well, um, that's the point of this research. So we do find the cure for Zika. And so it's just not left in the hands of Big Pharma. So how can people donate if they want to be, uh, you know, contributor to the next Jonas Salk? Well, I'd probably have to do some re- um, research and find the studies out there. Um, I'd rec- I would recommend that if they're going to donate to a study, they make sure it's legitimate. Yeah, definitely do your research into these studies before you donate. But I, I think it's a, it's a good idea that has, that has potential. In part three, turmoil at the Sydney College of the Arts has been fermenting for a while now. The trouble kicked off when the University of Sydney, which oversees the college, often called the SCA, announced it was going to close the SCA and launch a new school for fine arts and similar highbrow humanitarian pursuits in partnership with the University of New South Wales. Rather than be based in Roselle, which is the SCA's traditional home, the new campus was going to be in Surrey Hills. Now, for people not from Sydney, those two suburbs are on opposite sides of the inner Sydney area, but still quite close to the action, and are actually quite similar in both being trendy urban centres. If anything, Surrey Hills is a little bit more happening and more of an artsy place, but the Roselle campus is sort of iconic of the SCA. It was hard to find anyone outside UCID admin who thought this move, which was ostensibly being pursued only to cut costs, uh, there was barely any pretext of an improved academic or pedagogical experience, was a good one. The, tra- the protesting started almost immediately, and not long after UCID canned the move, opaquely blaming the collapse of the partnership on UNSW not fulfilling some unstated expectation. The protesters claimed victory for this one, but were immediately angry again, because UCID Vice-Chancellor Michael Spence announced a couple of changes to the SCA's program, the most objectionable of which was the college not offering a Bachelor of Visual Arts in 2017. This led to a cabal of students staging a protest in the executive offices, which conveniently housed both a kitchen and a bathroom at the SCA. Uh, The the protest is being led by budding dilettante Dylan Griffiths. The Sydney has been going on for almost six weeks now. They're on the second floor level and they're using a bucket on a rope system to transport food up to a window. And protesters come and go depending on their schedule. It's very much a Gen Y protest and there is free Wi-Fi. Uh, When I spoke to Dylan, he outlined the group's five demands. One, the university immediately removes the Dean of the Sydney College of the Arts, Colin Rhodes, and that he be replaced with a team fully representative of the staff of Sydney College of the Arts. Two, the university guarantees no cuts to jobs, studios or courses. Three, the university guarantees that the SCA will not be moved from Roselle. Four, the university reinstates the Bachelor of Visual Arts for 2017. Five, the university guarantees a proper and transparent independent review of its financial and constitutional status. Well, this week, Dylan and co checked off demand number one because Colin Rhodes has stepped down. He was actually due to retire and transition to an honorary role at the end of this year, but he's decided to uh, drop out now. And uh, Margaret Harris, a professor, is stepping up to be the temporary SCA head. So is this a case of the inmates running the asylum? James, Lauren, what do you think? Oh, it's just a traditional student protest, I think. Um, unusually effective though unusually effective maybe it's what happens when you camp out for four weeks but is it effective is the university really going to change anything because um, Colin Rhodes is due to retire as he said in four months and he's just decided to I think, pack it up now pack it up bugger it why, why bother I've thought it unusual that he I would have thought that even though he was due to retire at the end of the year I wouldn't have let him 
retire now because I think it sends a terrible message yeah. that the protesters winning. The terrorists are winning. I agree. It sends a bad message, but I don't think it was un- under student pressure. I think it was he just decided to leave and then Sydney Uni could, couldn't stop him. And I, I, I can't see Sydney Uni changing their decision about SCA at all. Are a majority of students from the SCA protesting or is it just a small minority? So the, the group comprises around about 20 people and they're sort of playing tag team with the protests. They're, they're going in and out for week-long sittings. So there, there's always somewhere between 6 and 10 that are protesting at any one time. Now this protest is, is not like the, they're, they're protesting the Vietnam War and they're starving themselves or they're, they're there's not much privation going on. They're in quite a luxurious surrounds as far as the photos are concerned. There is a kitchen and a bathroom and there's fresh food and there's the internet. Uh, If anything, it's just a long uh, party that as far as I can tell, but it is disruptive because they've taken over all the executive offices. But the the university has been quite obliging. I mean, Mm. they are trespassing. They could just call the police to go in there. And I'm not certain how... um, how violent uh, protest based of College of the Fine Arts or, mm. or art, fine arts students is going to descend to. I'd say it's going to be quite civilised. Uh, I'm quite confused by the fact that they've cancelled the Bachelor of Visual Arts. Isn't Wouldn't that be the centrepiece of well, the they're college? Just, they're just not offering it for 2017. And there's quite a high chance it'll be back in 2018 when the, the courses are supposed to all shift onto UCID's primary campus, which is in Camperdown which is obviously the big sandstone structure you see when you mm. drive to Newtown in Sydney. That, and that, that's another major problem that the, uh, that the protesters have, is that they're being taken away from their, sort of their, their annex, which is, you know, their, mm. which apparently has outstanding facilities for learning fine arts, and they're going to be shoehorned into the, the same facilities that are used for economics and law classes. Okay. Um, well, wouldn't that break down the silo of fine arts and integrate it into other faculties and also perhaps get, get them interacting on how fine arts could work with economics or something like that. I think that's UCID's thinking, not just from a pragmatic perspective, but also from a cost-saving perspective. But I, I think that um, the students at the Sydney College of the Arts and Dylan, who I spoke with, they, they've never looked at a spreadsheet. They don't believe that uh, you should uh, merge uh, numbers with uh, the beauty of art. But the University of Sydney could have a lawsuit on its hand from the international students with this because... Um, that I think a group of them have launched, have gone to the courts saying that UCID's not going to deliver the, the course they advertised to them. I'm unsure what, what, how much UCID would sort of worry too much about the effect of this on international students because international students generally tend to go for the more mm. uh, STEM-based courses. So, yes, there would be, there would be a small amount yeah. of, uh, of students that are going to be uh, affected adversely by this. But I imagine that the UCD has run the numbers and said it's only going to take us six months to save the money that it's going to cost in, in any sort of payout that we might have to make or refund. I'm certain of that. I was yeah. going to make that point because it is a fine arts degree. There won't be a lot, a lot of international students and therefore it won't be financially worthwhile for the university to really fight this. Or no, sorry, really um, give in to the protesters. Mm. Well, I, well, I have to say, when the sit-in first started, I sort of laughed at them, and I thought this was one of the, you know, the, the more amusing things that I'd read about. But having achieved the first of their demands, which they lay out in such it's such beautiful 
1960 style communist manifesto uh, oh. style. I, uh, I have to give credit to them. They've proved me wrong. They have hit one of their goals. They use very militant language. I referred to Colin Rhodes as a casualty and the use of executive is to be next. Um, this is just, I think this is just a p- big PR headache for the university. And I think it's a lot of first-year students having a good deal of fun with their yeah. spare time, yeah. with, you know, cooped up at private high schools all these years, now getting their fine arts degrees, and they're, they're out there having as much fun as they can. Now, you mentioned at the start of the, the, the episode that I'm about to go on two weeks' leave, so, uh, and on the subject of fine arts, I'm doing a museum tour of London, Paris, and Amsterdam. So, uh, Are you going to sit to in that. one of the museums? I certainly am. My, my plan is to... Um, just get uh, a big uh, espresso, a long black, and just sort of walk slowly around the Reichstag or the Louvre or the British Museum, maybe go to the Tate Modern. You know what Paris is like. You just walk down any of the rues or the boulevards and then you come across a museum. Might have to take up smoking. Lauren, what have you got planned for the, for the weekend? Um, nothing quite as artistic as you, Patrick, although I am doing some film editing, so Lovely. can sympathise with these SCA budding filmmakers. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, uh, best of luck. Thank you. James, what's the, what does the week ahead hold for you? Um, I'm not going to take up smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, not much for me. Oh, well, thank you very much for listening to Talking Heads episode 14. See you next time. Bye. Bye.